0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. VTW, void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everybody. My name is Russell Spatz. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I'm a member of the South Dixie Group. I haven't found necessary to have drinks since January 25th, 1981. And it's uh, it's good, as always, to be here. It's always good for me to be in. It's always good to be in an AA meeting. It's a privilege to be able to share it in an AA meeting. I was thinking right before, I don't, I don't plan these things out, as most of you know, and uh, there's no point in it. With the Alzheimer's, I'd forget anyway. But um, uh, i just say what's on my heart. And it, if there's a possibility, supposedly this is the ninth talk, so presumably it would be on the ninth step. I wouldn't, I wouldn't assume that's going to happen. You know, my sponsor said, one of the first things my sponsor said to me, he said, you know, you... Uh, you have a lot of assumptions about things, the way you think things ought to go. I said, he said, every time you make an assumption, it doesn't go the way, you get a resentment. I said, you ought to to back off on your assumptions, or the feeling about how you think season, they're gonna go the way they're gonna go. So I was, uh, as a matter of fact, I'm doing another step series on Tuesday nights, and sometimes that happens, you know, I try not to load, I had one time, many years ago, when I was younger, I was doing three step series a a week, and uh, and I would get them mixed up, you know, and uh, so I try not to do that, but I happen to be doing two of them, so I was thinking about the other step series that I'm on, where I'm on the second step, and I was thinking about some stuff having to do with willingness in the second step, and some really, uh, some things that I wanted to share with the group. and I was all pumped up about it, and then I realized those I was supposed to be on the ninth step. And, uh, but it was, too, it was too late. I was into the second step, so we'll see how that works out. And uh, I think it's probably all mushed together at this point. I mush them all together at this point. I don't even know how to explain that. So I happen to be thinking, today's the 9th of March, is that right? Yep. And it occurred to me, I just, I just figured this out, that on the 16th of March, I'll be 74 years old. So I'm, uh, I'm old. Uh, I knew I was old before it occurred to me. <laughs> I, I knew I was old, because I've been in the hospital, last month I've been in the hospital twice with, with old men, with, with things that happen to old men, old man stuff, you know, and, uh, and uh, they don't happen to you when you're 40 or 30 or 50, it's like old, when you're an old man, you get stuff like this other the hospital and uh, and I, but I was just thinking yeah I'll be uh, 74 and uh, uh, I don't think about my birthday much but I uh, I'll be 74 years of age so um, I'm, I'm in, a, in a month from today from tonight a month tonight I'll be up in Wisconsin uh, doing uh, they have a young person a young person's convention young people in a it's called Hockey Paw. it's uh Heartlands, young people, it's like seven different states, you know, with young people in AA. And uh, I've done a lot of young people, lately I've been doing a lot of young people deals, you know, and there's this thing, they had paw they, they, they have things where young people, I don't know what a young person, young people is like the people here, like you guys are young. You may not know you're young, but trust me, you're young. Except for maybe Al. Al's not young, you know, you're young. You're young, you know, and, um, and so, and, and I've always been sort of like amazed at this deal. Um, Why well, I pick a guy who's 74 years old, 73 years old, do a young people? Yeah, I'd have like a 40 year old, you know, a 45 year old, or something like that, a or 30 or a 25 year old guy, because I can't do young. I, I, can't, I can't do young, you know. Sometimes I see a lot of young kids, man, I wish I could do 30. You know, I came today when I was 31 going to be 74 in my 43rd year of sobriety. And, you know, you go and you're talking to people who are in their 30s and 40s and 50s. And you say, you're going to talk about the step one and say, man, I wish I could. Because there was a time that I did step series. I, there was, I started doing step series when I was like five or six years sober. So there was, there was a time that I was doing step series to like people who were 30 or 40 years old where I was like 30 or 40 years old. And so I thought like a 30-year-old or like a 40-year-old. you understand what I'm saying? I had whatever the maturity is of a 30-year-old or the sobriety of a 30-year-old or the, of a 40-year-old. Or something. So I could think like a 30-year-old. But uh, uh, as a matter of fact, quite frankly, I could actually think back then, and, which is not necessarily a good thing. Because if there's one thing I've known about... See, the only thing I can share is my experience. You see? And the only validity to anything I say... Is because you can't share something you haven't been through and you haven't got, you know, and isn't part of your experience. So the one thing I got is I got 43 years' experience in this deal. I got 73 years' experience as an alcoholic. I got 43 years' experience uh, as a sober, a physically sober alcoholic. I probably have like 15 years' experience as an emotionally sober alcoholic, you know, and 20 years' experience as a whack job, you know, but but getting by. Because you can get by as a whack job, you know, if you don't drink and you, you read the book and read the material. So all I can, so I, I, when I was 30 years, I can't do, I can't do 30. And I can't do 40. I can't even do 50. I can't even, shit, I can't even do last week. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm just old and so I got an old brain. And, and so here's what's happened to me. What's happened to me is that things that were important to me at 31 years of age, things that were not only important to me, things that I saw and heard and believed at 31, uh, by the time I was 40, they were gone. And things when I was, and by the time I was 50, the things that I was 40 were gone. And so at my age right now, everything I used to think, everything I used to think, every thought I had, every feeling I had, everything about AA is like wiped clean. It's like gone. It's even worse than gone because I am a little senile. You'll understand when you get to be my age. And I don't remember much, you know, so it's like I'm into today and only what I think today. So so I'm. you're going to have to excuse me. I'm just going to talk to you about what this program means to me today. I'll give you an example. Let me give you an example. I heard, I actually, I listen to people and what they say, and I read stuff. And, and uh, I, heard, I heard him say uh, this line, if you want, did anybody hear this line? If you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you're ready to take certain steps. He, he actually said that up there. Every meeting I've gone to, they say stuff like that. If you want what we have and you're willing to go to any length, then you're ready to take certain steps. I've been hearing that thing for years. If you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you're ready to take certain steps. And I've been hearing that for years, but I never actually heard it. Do you think it's possible to hear something but never really hear it? You know, I mean, you hear a song you like, and it sounds good, and it feels good, and it makes you feel good, but you never really listen to it. If you want, if you want what we have, whoever we is, and are willing, willing to go to any length to get it, then you're ready. Do you think that's true? You, you know, that's what it says. Then you're ready, if you want. you think that's true of most of the alcoholics that come to AA? Do you think they want what we have? Do you think they want what I have? you think they're willing to go to any length to get it? you think that's true? You know, I think about that line, and I say, that's the whole program right there. That, that, that right there, that one line, If you want what we have, and are willing to go to any length to get it, that line is the difference between having five years in drinking, three months in drinking, 20 years in drinking, 25 years in drinking, 30 years in feeling sorry for yourself, no emotional sobriety, not being able to get the program, slipping, that line right there is the difference between that and having 30 or 40 or 50 years of contented sobriety. That's, that's the one line. You don't, need, you don't need anything else in the book. You don't need to read another thing. There is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. I mean, I, that's read in every meeting. There's one that has all power. That one is God. God. May you find him now. You think alcoholics actually hear that? You think they sit around and they think about that? Think about what that means? What they're saying about that? Or do they go straight to the jaywalker? You know? I don't know. You think... But how about this one? Half measures avail you nothing. Think alcoholics ever think about that? You, I, you, know, you know what I think I think we sort of, I, you know what I think? I think it's possible to read, I know this is true. Unless and until an alcoholic accepts his alcoholism and all its consequences, his sobriety will be precarious and if true happiness will find none at all. And there are consequences to being an alcoholic. One of the symptoms of being an alcoholic is the drinking. But that's just a symptom. A consequence of being an alcoholic is you don't see what's right in front of your face. Your alcoholic life seems the only normal one. You can't separate the truth from the false. You're delusional. You're selfish. You're self-centered. A consequence of being an alcoholic is you don't understand anything. You don't get it. You are clueless. Clueless. You're selfish. You're self-centered. You're driven by a hundred forms of fear. You're delusional. You step on the toes of others and they retaliate. Seemingly without any provocation, and you finally come to believe that it's because you've been made decisions based upon being selfish that put you in a position to be safe. though an alcoholic usually doesn't think so. A sober alcoholic doesn't think so. Forget about the drinking alcohol. Drinking alcohol is totally clueless. That's not even the point. But it's the sober alcoholic usually doesn't even see it. The guy with one day doesn't see it. The guy with 10, guy with 10 years doesn't see it. The guy with 20 years doesn't see The guy with, let me tell you something, me at 20 years, me at 20 years doing the steps, speaking to and all that stuff, didn't even have a clue as to seeing what I see now at, 40, at 42 years. Can you, would you believe that? That what I see now in this program and how I read the program and how I read the lines in the program are completely... It's like a different big book. This big book, the big book, and the books I read, the big book I read now is not the big book I read when I was 20 years sober. And it's certainly not the big book I read when I was one year sober. I see things in the big book that are the most important things to me that most people gloss over. One of the consequences of being an alcoholic, I know this is true, is whenever you see something you don't like or you don't understand or it doesn't fit within your theology, you understand, or you think it's bullshit, you just sort of ignore it. Just ignore it. I mean it's true. I mean that's all these all these lines in the big book that seem um, sometimes people won't uh, and I I don't care about, it, but I'm just saying there are some people in AA. That don't like it when you talk a lot about God. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm just telling you that's the truth. I mean, you could probably mention them once or twice, you know, but don't get too heavy on it. Don't get too heavy on it. Don't talk too much about it. You understand? Don't try to shove it down your throat. Don't, you know, say a lot of God stuff. But just let's work on just the mechanics. Give me the mechanic. How'd you, how'd you do your ninth step? How'd you do your eighth step? I mean, really. I mean, there's like a chart in the book on the fourth step and the ninth, eighth step comes to the fourth. I mean, just, just show me how to, but don't mention the God stuff too much. But what happens when you get to be 43 years sober? 42 or 43, whatever I am. I can't remember. What happens when you get to that deal and you realize that the only thing that's important, the only thing that is really important as far as, What's going to decide whether or not what what is going to determine whether or not somebody's going to not make 20 years and not make 10 years or not be able to stop drinking or just have 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 horrible, miserable sobriety. What's going to determine between the what is the difference going to be between that person and a person who's rocketed in the fourth dimension of existence? And the difference is the hard stuff. You realize that the difference between the men and the boys is the hard stuff. It's the step that separates the men from the boys. That's the difference. That's why there's a separation. That's why you don't have a... That's why we don't have 100 people here with 40 years. That's why you don't have a lot of people. The A's been around for, what, 90 years? 90 years. Something like that. 90 years. Been around for over 90 years. So tell me, where's all the guys with 40, where's all the other 70-year-olds that have 40 years or 50 years? Where are they? Or with, or even 30 years. I go to groups, you know, maybe you'll have one or two, maybe. With a group of like, where are they all? It's because most people don't make it have more than 20 years. They really don't. You know, they drink, they, we got a ton of people that make it to 10 years and then drink. We got a gazillion people that make it to 15 years and drink. A whole bunch of people make it to 20 years and drink. Got a ton of people that make it three years and drink. 40 years? Not a lot. Not a lot. You know? And you realize after after you've been through all the stuff, you realize the most important stuff in the book is the stuff that people don't want to read. Not only the most important stuff in the stuff in the book is the stuff that disturbs people. There's a spiritual axiom. Whenever you're just dis- whenever you disturbed, no matter what the cause is something wrong with you. Now, here we have a book, and you're gonna have to trust me on this, where they mention God, God, like eight hundred times. Like the whole thing is about God. There is one who has all power, that one is God. Half measures avail us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. We don't know where will meet us. We can't be sure. God will determine that, and your real reliance has to be with him. He will show you how to create the fellowship you crave. And a thousand, we're on a new basis, the basis of trusting and believing in God. We never apologize for God. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. Instead, we let him demonstrate in our lives what he would have us be. And once we begin to outgrow fear, you know, you can be rocking in the fourth dimension, experience much of heaven and no peace. But the great fact is this and nothing less. God's got to become the central fact of your life. You must be convinced that he lives in the heart, in your heart and mind. In a day which, in a way which is indeed miraculous. Not, not comply, not merely complying with the God thing or going along with the God thing, but you must be convinced. Convinced. And that's just one of 200 things where they stress the God thing. See to what your relationship with Him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. And these are the most important things in the book. The great fact is this and nothing less. This is the great fact. Abandon yourself to God. Utterly abandon yourself to God. And and here's the deal. And these are the things that people don't want to hear in an AA meeting. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that. The things I just said, which are right out of our program of recovery are the things that people don't want to hear about. Do you know why people don't want to hear about it? Do you know why? I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you, well, this is my opinion. It's just my opinion. i I got to say that. It's my opinion. This is just my opinion. It has nothing to do with A. Now, when I say it's my opinion, what I'm saying to you is I'm right. But you don't have to actually agree with me, okay? What do you think about it? The reason why alcoholics don't want to hear that is because they're not willing to do it. They don't want to go there. They don't want to really work the program for recovery the way it's supposed to be worked. That's the reason they don't want to hear it, because they don't want to go there. And alcoholics, are, their chief characteristic is defiance. They don't want to listen to you. They don't want to be told what to do. They don't want to be given instructions. They'd like suggestions. Suggestions they could say, go screw yourself. You know what I mean? They don't mind you giving suggestions, but don't tell them what to do because alcoholics are undisciplined, spoiled, selfish brats, and they're immature. They don't like being told what to do. And the only people that will ever make it in AA, ever, are people that have a desire to be told what to do. The only people that will ever make it, really, truly, are people that will let go of their old ideas, stop thinking for themselves, get rid of their stupid intellectual pride, and, be, and allow themselves to do what they're told to do. What's that, like 1 in 200? Maybe. I think. That's the reason, because one of the consequences of alcoholism is you hate God and you hate the stuff I'm talking about. Because in chapter to the agnostics, because it's funny how I see this stuff now. I never saw this stuff in 10 years. I never saw this stuff in 20 years. Now that I've sort of been through the grinder, I see, hell, they stated it right there. If a mere code of morals, or better philosophy of life, or our own way of thinking, you know that guy Roland, Roland Hazard, now, having known the inner works of my mind, drinking was impossible. Nevertheless, he was drunk in a few weeks. If, the, if my mind or a mere coat of would have helped me, we'd be sober a long time ago. It didn't help us. We had to find a power by which we could live. And of course, we wrote a book where we we're going to talk about God. And this is right out of book. It says, here is where the problem happens because alcoholics hate the idea of God. In other words... As a Maver- that's what they say. See, the hackles in our neck stand up. We hate the idea of God. As a matter of fact, when people don't want to hear about God, what it says about them is that they're, you ready for this? Not sober. Not sober. Not spiritually or emotionally sober. You give them a blood test, they may be physically sober, but they're not emotionally sober. Because one of the symptoms and one of the consequences of having alcoholism is you hate the idea of God and not being in total control of your life. And you want to decide what's best for you, and you don't want to have anybody telling you what to do. That's that's you ready for this. You're saying to yourself I'm not going to listen. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm in charge of my life. Don't tell me what to do. You ready for this? You know what that is? That sounds great if you're an alcoholic. You know? You don't know who you're dealing with. Screw you. You don't know me. You don't know you. Take your own frickin' inventory. You don't don't know that, that, that thing that feels so good to tell somebody to go fuck themselves. You know what I mean? Who the hell are you? The thing that feels so good... is the disease of alcoholism. It's the disease of alcoholism. The inability to be a student and to humble yourself and do what you're told to do is the opposite of the disease of alcoholism. So the guy in the back who's saying, this guy is so full of shit, he's just basking and floating the disease of alcoholism. How do you get rid of that? How do you get rid of that? I'll tell you how to get rid of that. Repeated humiliation is the final crushing of your self-sufficiency. So what happens is people come into your life. For the last 42, 43 years, people have come into my life. People come into my life. Some of them I know very well. Some of them I don't know very well. Few and far between. Bob Earl used to call them Eskimos. You're walking along. You know, if you don't change your direction. You're going to wind up where you're headed. You understand? If you don't change your direction, you're going to find wind up where you're headed. And you're walking this way, and you run into this guy, and you don't know him from Adam. Then look, I was I, I I was having a real problem in eighteen months doing the four step. I didn't understand the four step. The four step made no sense to me. I go to four step meetings. I couldn't do the four step. I couldn't do the four step. And I was getting worse and worse and worse emotionally. I didn't drink, but I was getting worse and worse emotionally. I used to go to meetings. I'd say, "I feel crappy. I feel terrible. I feel horrible. I know I should do my four step. I know I should do that." And somebody would say, "Well, why don't you just do your four step?" You know, and somebody is trying to me there. And I didn't understand anything. I just kept on saying, "I need to do my four step. I need to do my four step. I need to do my four step." You know, you know, typical alcohol. When you do four step, he says, "I'm working on it," which is alcohol code. Say, "Go screw yourself." You know, ain't never gonna happen. Okay. I go to a meeting, a twelve o'clock meeting, one day, and I did my my thing. I'm not feeling good. I'm not feeling well. I know I should do my four step, and blah blah. I knew I should do my four step, and that's the problem. And there's a guy there named Henry. Never saw him before. Never saw him since. I named Henry. That's all I know, and he says something to me. I'm not even going to tell you what he said to me, because it's such a it's such a joke. I mean, I'm going to tell you what he said. I'm going to tell you. I got to tell you this, because you're going to think it's like profound, right? So I'm doing the fourth set. I He says. He says. Listen, why don't you go home tonight and pick up a piece of paper and a pencil and start writing. Because you know I'm brilliant. I mean, did I tell you about all the degrees I had? And the meeting ended, and I said, I'd never heard that before. <laughs> no, they would say, why don't you do it? And there's a trap. But nobody ever told me. To, and I went home and I picked up a piece of paper and a pencil and I opened up the book and I did my four step in two hours. I never saw Henry again. Somehow, some way, and I don't know. How I understand what God, how God works. I'd gone to a point in my life where I needed somebody to tell me to shut up, go home, pick up a pencil and a piece of paper, and start writing. I needed that. They were all telling me about the four step and how to do it and how they did, but nobody told me to pick up the freaking pencil. I couldn't find the pencil. Sometimes I'll listen to a tape and I'll hear somebody say something. And bam, all of a sudden, I'll hear something, I'll say... You know, there's this line by T.S. Eliot that says, we will not cease our searching, our exploration. And when we're done with our exploration, we'll, come, we'll, we'll find ourselves in the place where we began, having known the place for the first time. All of a sudden, you're exactly where you started, but all of a sudden, you see something differently. A man, or the other thing that's said out of the Oxford group, he says, a man can, can see something, 999 times and see it a thousandth time and see it for the first time. So you go to 500 AA meetings and all of a sudden on the 501st AA meeting some speaker that you never heard before reads a line out of the big book a line out of the big book that you've heard 10,000 times and all of a sudden you say holy shit that's the problem. Oh, that, that's the deal. And so I run into these people. I run into the Al Kennedys. The night, I'm not going to tell the Al Kennedy story. It's 20 minutes. I run into the Al Kennedys that one night he said something. I said, wow. I run into my sponsor, Bob Seltz. He says, wow. I run into Joe Snyder. He says, wow. I run into thousands of people. And what happens is I'm walking in this direction and I bump into this guy. And all of a sudden I, I go a millimeter to the right. And I'm walking in a different direction. Then I bump into another guy, or I hear a tape, or I go to a meeting and I bump and I go in a, that direction. I bump into another and I go in that direction. I just start changing directions. You know? From the arrogant, you know what? You know, listen, Dr. Bob says 15 people stand up in a meeting and say, Well, I'm an atheist, or I'm an agnostic. Rather believe in God. Okay? Nobody thinks anything of it. Because you'll outdo that in AA. Dr. Bob says in the, you know, because we're tolerant. We're tolerant. We're nice. We're nice in AA. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We don't care if they die, but we don't want to hurt their feelings. Well, we also don't want them not to like us. So we compromise. We compromise the program. So Dr. Bob writes us a book, a story it's called Dr. Bob's Nightmare. Dr. Bob was a stone believer. He was a serious believer. I hate to say it, It's not like Bill Wilson. He was different than Bill. Bill Wilson is an... Dr. Bob was an alcoholic. And Bill Wilson was an alcoholic. And I, I respect the hell out of Bill Wilson. I read, I read everything Bill Wilson read. I've read it 15 times. I, I can tell you this. Knowing about believing in God... And Bill Wilson wrote the big book when he was five years sober. There's no way Bill Wilson wrote that big book, unless it was divinely inspired. I know people that five years sober. I know me at five years sober. Nobody's writing that book at five years sober. Anybody who's ever worked with somebody five, there ain't no way. You know what I mean? He wrote the, the 12 and 12 when he was 20 years sober. Did a great job done a great job. You know, a lot of the AA co-founder, 23 years sober, he's sucking on the muzzle of a gun, he wants to kill himself, he's going to drink. How do you explain that? The founder, the guy with the longest time in AA at 23 years sober, right after that is like going down the tubes. He writes an essay. And in the essay, he essentially says the real problem is with alcoholics is unhealthy dependencies. And then he puts down a whole lot of other stuff and it says, perhaps, he says, what I've discovered, what I've discovered and seen for the first time. And this is his line. I'm paraphrasing. He says, we have many old timers, old timers meaning guys for 20 years, that have passed the booze test. They're not drinking, but they're not happy with their sobriety. It's like he discovered, here I am with 23 years, and I'm suicidal. What's going on here? There's a lot of guys that are like me that are suicidal. And then he says, perhaps, perhaps, because you want to know something? Because he didn't have 40 years. Because he didn't have 30 years. Because he had, he needed to get 23 years. Because he hadn't seen it yet. He says, perhaps these guys who have sort of mastered the not drinking thing will be the spearhead for the next major development in AA. (laughs) What do you think the next major development of AA is? You know what's the, by the way, you know what I think the next major development in is AA? I think the next major development in is AA is to go back to AA. I think that's the next major development in AA, to go back to AA, where the whole thing started with God, and they took God seriously, and all the meetings were talking about God. I think it's the next major development in AA. I see it on Zoom. I go to meetings all the time, all they do is talk about God. And the people can go, come in from Australia and from all over the place, and they go to meetings not because they're geographically down the street, because they like the meetings, because they're talking about God. And you know, some they stay sober and they're happy, and they're mature because they're doing all time AA. That's the deal. And so, and then so all of a sudden, the book starts making more sense. If you want, we have. Well, who's your we? And then all of a sudden you see things that Dr. Bob said. This is what Dr. Bob said. If you're an atheist, if you're an agnostic, he's not saying that's a good thing. We like you. If you're an atheist, an agnostic grab some sort of intellectual pride which keeps you in other words, you think you're 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 smarter than everybody, or you know more, which keeps you from understanding what we're saying in this book, which is about abandoning yourself then I feel sorry for you. You're pitiful. Your heavenly father will never let you down. And then I read, and then all of a sudden I go from, at 30 years sobriety, I go through, I'm focusing on, Doc, on Bill Wilson to focusing on Dr. Bob. Dr. Bob's the, the guy, Dr. Bob was the rock. Bill Wilson was the Manhattan guy who wanted to make everybody in AA and build hospitals and everything like that. He's the stockbroker. He's the lawyer. He's the guy who, he's a Manhattan guy. He's a, I'm a New Yorker. I know about New Yorkers. I know how New Yorkers talk and how they think. Cut the bullshit. What's the bottom line? I don't want to hear this bullshit. Just tell me, where's the money? You know what I mean? What am I going to get out of this? I know what New Yorkers are. You know, you tap them on the shoulder like I said next to it last week, you know? You know? Can you tell me how to get to Carnegie Hall or should I just go fuck myself? You know what I mean? I know what a New Yorker is all about. They're about fast, do it. I don't want to hear the bullshit. It ain't about God. I don't want to hear this. Because I'm just too cool and too smart for that crap. You understand what I'm saying? I know what Dr. Bob is all about. And so now I start running into people, and the people I'm running into that are 30, 40 years of sobriety. They're not necessarily like Bill Wilson. They're like Dr. Bob. And I start focusing on Dr. Bob. And in order to focus on Dr. Bob, I had to read another book. And so about 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when I was about, I don't know, 15 years sober, 15 years ago. No, not 15 years ago. I, I don't know. I can't do that. 20, 25. I start reading Dr. Bob and the Good Old Timers. All about what AA was and who Dr. Bob was between 1935, when AA started, and 1940 or 43 or 44, when AA started. I go right back to the source, like the source of the Nile, when the water was pure, before we expanded and brought in everything in the you know. Because Dr. Bob, if so, I can tell you this. If somebody stood up in a group and said, well, I don't believe in God and everything like that, first of all, they wouldn't have been in the group in the first place. Because course, you couldn't get into AA unless you got on your knees in front of everybody and said you believed in God. Couldn't, you couldn't get in, so you wouldn't be there in the first place. And somebody would probably come up to you and say, listen, we don't want to hear that crap. You don't believe in God, that's fine. You tell it to your sponsor because we have new people here and they're going to die unless they get this thing. They wouldn't have tolerated it. Okay, so here we go. I got two things I want to read to you. This is on page... This is cute. Okay, this is on page... 101 of Dr. Bob and the Good Old Timers. By the way, this is uh, conference approved. I still don't know who those guys are on the conference. You know what I mean? Apparently, after this thing happened, years after this thing happened, they put a conference together of alcoholics. <laughs> I want you to understand, this is a conference of alcoholics. Like they got you guys together, and they took a vote. <laughs> and they said, what do we call Conference Approved? And this is what they said. They said, well, I'll do it this way. Conference Approved will be the books we publish. Because, and I'm not putting this down because we make money off of those books. But they don't have something called conference disapproved. Like the Bible is not conference disapproved. As a matter of fact, the books they found absolutely essential between 1935 and 1940 was 1 Corinthians 13, the Sermon on the Mount, and the Book of James. That's what they said. These were absolutely essential. So you would think if they were absolutely essential for the people who were founding this, that it would be essential for us. But you see, in AA, they think the Bible is, is conference-disapproved. But it's not conference-disapproved. It's just not conference-approved. So you could stay in your little AA coffin with your AA group and say, well, that's not really approved. You know, not read the 24-hour book, which was read for 20 years by people, because it's not conference-approved. Conference Instead, read Daily reflections. So I'm not saying putting that down, because that's conference-approved, which, by the way, is published by AA. You understand what I'm saying? You can either start thinking like an adult. You understand what I'm saying? Or you can be a child. And you, get, you, you just go along like sheep. Like sheep. You understand what I'm saying? to the slaughter, you could start reading up on what was going on here. So here's page 101. This is what the old timers did, this is what the founders did. On the other hand, we were taking them upstairs and getting them on their knees to surrender, which I felt was an important part. The surrender was more than important, it was a must, a must. Must, that means it wasn't a suggestion. Bobby, who came into A in February of 1937, recalled that after five or six days in the hospital, you ever hear people say you're killing newcomers? This is after five or six days in the hospital. When you had indicated that you were serious, they told you to get down on your knees by the hospital bed and say a prayer to God admitting that you were powerless over alcohol and your life was unmanageable. Furthermore, you had to state that you believed in a higher power who would return you to sanity. You had to say it. There you can see the beginning of the 12 steps. He said, we call that the surrender. Did you guys have to go through the surrender to get in here tonight? Um, you didn't have to do that. So you really weren't doing AA the way they were doing AA, were you? They were doing like a different type of AA. They were doing a different type of AA. But if, if we did that in AA today, and I'm not saying we should do it in AA today, but if we did that in AA today, this might be a different type of meeting with a different group of people, right? It'd be a different deal. We'd be what's called pre-qualified. Can you imagine that? A meeting where everybody in the meeting, before they went to the meeting, had already done the third step because they were ordered to do it because they were told to do it and they were so desperate and they wanted what we had so much that they were willing to do it even though they didn't like it. How's that for something? Being willing to do something even though you don't want to do it. We called that the surrender. They demanded it. You couldn't go to a meeting until you did it. If by accident you didn't make it in the hospital, you had to make it in the upstairs bedroom over the Williamson's house. Dorothy SM recalled the 1937 meetings when the men would all disappear upstairs and all us women would be, ha- would be nervous and worried about what was going on. After about a half an hour or so, down would come the new man, shaking, white, serious, and grim, and all the people who were already in AA, these were AA people, would come trooping down after him. They were pretty reluctant to talk about what had happened, but after a while they would tell you they had a real surrender. You guys didn't have to do that, did you? I often wonder how many people that come in now would survive an an experience like that, a regular old-fashioned prayer meeting, said Dorothy, who was then married to an AA member, Clarence Snyder, and later became an AA herself. And Clarence Snyder was called Clarence the Brewmaster. So let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Bob. Dr. Bob is the one who said to Bill Wilson, the last thing he said to him is he said this. He said, not, let's not louse this thing up, Bill, as he left for Manhattan. Let's not louse this thing up. Keep it simple. It's all about God. Keep it simple. Bill Wilson is the one who said to Henrietta Cyberling, we shouldn't talk so much about God. It scares away newcomers. Henrietta said, if you don't talk about God, you might as well be the Kiwanis Club because he's the only reason you're around. And finally Bill said, yeah, I agree. Okay, so how about this? How about this one? you like this one. This is Dr. Bob doing a 12-step call. This is Dr. Bob doing a 12-step call on a new pro- on Clarence Snyder, Clarence the Brewmaster, who started the first AA meeting in Cleveland, which was supposed to be one of the most successful AA groups around at that time. Doctor, this is Dr. Bob... 12 step in Clarence Snyder. You tell me whether this is sort of like the way we do it today. Doc Smith came in later and took over. He sat on the edge of my bed and said, Clarence is, by the way, in the hospital. He's like 35 years old. He's in the hospital. He sat on the edge of my bed and said, Well, what do you think of all this? Then he paused and looked at me doubtfully. I don't know if you're ready yet. You're kind of young. I was down to 135, this this is Clarence talking. I was down to 135 pounds, no job, no clothes, and no money. I didn't know how much more ready I could be, recalled Clarence. Still, I had to convince them, I was, I had to convince them, I had to convince them, I was, now we run after people and beg them, please come back in, please don't. I had to convince them I was ready, to join AA. There's a little bit difference in the dynamic between we trying to convince other people they're ready. I'll tell you how they did it with me. They looked at me and says, Why don't you go drink? If you don't like it, why don't you get out of here? Why don't you go drink? Of course that's 40 years ago, 43 years ago. I said, Why don't you have a drink? Why don't you just shut up? You know, we're not we don't want your opinion. Why don't you go drink? See, back then, there were still a few people that were, you know, doing that deal. Kind of, he says, still, I had to commit to STEM. I was ready. Then he asked, Dr. Bob asked this. First question. First question. Guy sitting in a hospital bed. Do you believe in God, young fellow? He always called the young fellow. When he called me Clarence, I knew I was in trouble. I mean, you say that to somebody today in an AA meeting, 15 guys with 15 years will jump on you and say, "What are you trying to kill him? Okay, so what do you think Clarence says? What does that have to do with it? Everything. Everything. Well, I guess I do. Guess nothing. You either do or you don't. Yes, I do. That's fine, Dr. Bob replied. Now we're getting somewhere. All right, get out of the hospital bed and on your knees, we're going to pray. This is, by the way, the co-founder of AA prior to the conference taking over. Prior to the conference. He says, I don't know how to pray. I guess you don't, but that's all right. Just follow what I say, and that will do for now. I, this is Clarence. I love this line. I did what I was ordered to. To do. There were no suggestions. I did what I was ordered to do. There were no suggestions. I did what I was told to do. There were no suggestions. Dr. Bob was always positive about his face, Faith Clarence said. If someone asked him a question about the program, his usual response was, What does it say in the Bible? Suppose he was asked, what is this first things first? Dr. Bob would be ready with an appropriate quotation, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. So what does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with the first step? What does that have to do with any of the steps? So I come into Alcoholics Anonymous, and my sponsor says to me, Whenever somebody asks you to do anything in AA, you always say yes. He said a lot of things to me. He said a lot of things to me. He gave me orders and instructions. He, says, he said, uh, if you ever want to drink, call me up first before you drink. Don't call me up after you drink. I won't take the phone call. I don't want to speak to you. Call me up before you drink. So one day I was going to drink. I was mad at my wife. I was going to drink at her. I was going to teach her a lesson. So I called my sponsor. I called my sponsor, because that's what he ordered me to do. And the phone rang and rang. The phone was busy, 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 busy. Then I called him again. It was busy, 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 busy. I called him again. It rang and rang and rang rang. He didn't answer. I said, holy frickin' shit. Unbelievable. This is bullshit. I saw him next day. He said, you know, I almost drank. And I called you, and you didn't answer the phone. And he said, did you drink? I said, no, I didn't drink. He said, you see, it works. (laughs) He said, I want you to join a group. And I want you to read the 24-hour book every day and get on your knees and ask God to stay sober. He didn't even ask me whether I believed in God. He said, this is what I want you And that's what I did. And two weeks later, I had no money and I was broke. And I was broke. And it was driving me crazy. And I wasn't going to tell anybody in the group because I'm not going to tell anybody in the group I don't have any money or anything like that. So I told him I'm broke. I don't have any money. What am I going to do? He says, I got the solution for you. I said, What's that? I said, I think it's about time you start making coffee for the group. And I swear to God, my mind blew up. I'm talking money, I'm talking about serious stuff, I'm gonna die here. And he's talking about making coffee for the group. And he marches me over to the coffee pot. He shows me how to make coffee for the group. The next day, nobody came in, I was dying. I didn't wanna go, I didn't wanna go to the meeting, but I had to go because I had to make the flipping coffee. I had to make the coffee. So I went to the group, three months later, the money came in, everything was okay. Some guy comes up and he says, I'll make the coffee. I said, I'm the coffee maker. Who the hell appointed you? <laughs> so, three weeks ago, somebody calls me up and says, and I, I do service. I do a lot. Of, I do this stuff. I, do, I get called to do a lot of meetings, you know, and says, would you chair a particular meeting at a particular time? You'll be the chairperson, open up at the meeting, everything like that. And and I didn't want to do it. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to do it, because you're an alcoholic, you're an excuse. I didn't want to do it. I mean, I do a lot of service. I didn't want to do it. And so my mind said, I don't want to do this. And all of a sudden, I heard my mouth say, sure. My mind says, no. And my mouth says, yes. Because I remember my sponsor said, if you ever want, if you anybody ever asks you to do something, A, you always say yes. If you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, I mean, that means willing to do stuff you don't want to do that you're told to do, then you're ready. I get these guys after meetings like, well, will you be my sponsor? I said, sure, do this, come to my home, and blah, blah, blah. No, I don't know, that's kind of far. You know, I mean, you know, like 90% of them, they show up one time, or you get one phone call, because, you know something? Because they don't want to do what I tell them to do. I don't get upset. I used to say to my sponsor, I used to say, what do you do when somebody doesn't do what you tell them to do? And he says, i let them do whatever the hell they want to do. They're going to do whatever they want to do anyway. And then 5 years later when they're crawling back in AA, maybe they, you and I say, and all of a sudden you start realizing these throwaway lines. If you want what we have and you're willing to go to any length to get it then you these are the difference between these every other everybody else is reading all the other stuff and thinking all the intellectual stuff and thinking on and it all has to do with are you willing to do what you're told to do? Are you willing to be submissive? Are you willing to surrender? Are you willing to do stuff even though you don't like it? Let me tell you something. I can't sponsor somebody who's going to argue with me. I didn't sign up for this stuff. I, I ain't going to be arguing with anybody. You know, you want to argue with me? I say, listen, do this. He said, I don't want to argue. You know, listen. Ninety-nine percent of the stuff that I did in AA for the first ten years was because my sponsor told me to do. Every, almost every service position I did in AA is because my sponsor said, "You need to do this. You need to be secretary of the group. You need to be inter- uh, you need to do, you need to be the banker." You need, it was all my sponsor's idea. It was never my idea. You know, it was all my. You need to sponsor more people. You need to raise your hand. You need to go talk to that guy. You know, it was all. Doing what I was ordered. To, there were no suggestions. And if there was a suggestion, if there was a suggestion, it was a sarcastic suggestion. Do you ever, you know what I mean by a sarcastic suggestion? When somebody suggests something, but they're talking to you like you're an idiot. And they did that to me quite a lot. You know why? Because I was an idiot. I was an idiot with a lot of postgraduate degrees. But all of a sudden, I don't know, all of a sudden this stuff becomes clear in this book. I did Lines that people have never read. You've never heard that line before, have you? You never heard that, did you? Maybe you heard it from me or something like that. You've never heard that there's actually a conference-approved material where it, some guy said, I did what I was ordered to do. There were no suggestions. Because you know what you think A is all about? You think it's about the guys that are doing stuff because it was suggested. You think you think that's why you think that's why AA works, don't you? You think the reason AA works with alcoholics and keeps them sober for 40 years is because we don't tell them what to do. We suggest it. You think it's wrong to tell an alcoholic what to do. You think that's not sober. You don't, you think that's not sober. You think it's like arrogant. You think it's like a bad thing to say, show up at the meeting tomorrow night. You're going to be chairing the meeting. You know, Whenever somebody says to do something, you think that's like arrogant. You think, well, that guy's got a big ego, right? You think the way you treat alcoholics, the way you deal with alcoholics, is you just be very gentle and kind. Let them sort of f- figure out and find their own way and figure it out and say... Well, it's just a job. I don't feel like doing that now, and everything like that. You think you're helping them? You hang around here for forty years. You see who makes it and who doesn't. You know, you see who makes it. You see what they say about. You see the people who make it. You see now. Listen, I'm not saying we're all different strokes different folks. I know my sponsors many times were gentle and kind and loved. I I know my sponsors loved me. I know they loved me. They love me and they cared about me. I know that they weren't cruel. But I'll tell you, they were, you know, if I started going off the reservation, going off on my own, you know what I mean? I was a hard right or something like that. You know, they weren't going to argue with me, say, why don't you just go try. They made it very, very clear. Why don't you just try some controlled drinking? That's, you know, that's what it says in the 12 and 12. It says we never argue with alcoholics. We tell them, why don't you try some controlled drinking? Boy, you say that to somebody today, they'll report you to the police. The no, really. In the 12 and 12, it says we never argue with an alcoholic. This is what we say. Why don't you go out and drink? Try some controlled drinking. You know, there are people that will hear, hear this and I'll say, guess what? That's out of a conference approved book. That's out of the 12 and 12. Hot shot. You think you're so smart? Try some drinking because you're going to drink anyway. Because the way you're doing this program is you're going to do what you want to do. You're not, you're not, you're working the, here's the program of recovery you're working, Russell. You're going to do everything they say in the book you want to do anyway and not do the things you don't want to do. And the things that are killing you are the things you don't want to do. That's the way it works because that's the way your mind works. You don't like being told what to do. You're undisciplined. So we let God discipline us. You know how God disciplines us? You guys know how God disciplines you. It's like jail time, you know? You go to jail, you get killed, you lose a leg or something like that you get divorced, you get to, you know, listen, here, this is nothing. What people will do to you here, what they'll say to you here, the way they'll hurt your feelings here is nothing compared with, to what the world will do to you if you don't get this thing. world is much crueler to alcoholics that don't get this. You know, it's like John Wayne, right? John Wayne, you know, life is tough, and if you're stupid, it's even tougher. That's the deal. That's all I have to say. Thank you very much.